I love that song, The Greatest Command. God is love. God is love. Today, I want to talk to you about the gospel, a message of love. Uh, Go ahead and hit this next slide for me, please. Romans 1 is an incredible scripture. It was just read to us a few minutes ago, but I want to take a look at it again because, well, it's worth looking at more than once. So let's read. I am obligated both to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. What an incredible passage of Scripture. Before we dive in, uh, I'd like to start us off in a word of prayer. So if you would, please bow with me. Father, we come before you in awe of your love, in awe of the gospel, of the sacrifice that Christ would make, the love that he would show that would ultimately free us and allow us to live lives unashamed so that we may in turn love the world. God, we are so grateful for you are good. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I am grateful for the message of the gospel. I'm grateful for this whole book we call the Bible. It's God's word. And every word in this book is truth. It is wisdom and guidance. It's amazing is what it is, especially when we live in a world that is so lost, a world that is in need of truth and guidance, and it's right here in front of us. What a blessing. Praise God. But Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I want you to repeat this after me. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Say it again. I am not ashamed of the gospel. gospel. All right. I got to say, Sunday night, I didn't necessarily have my expectations too high, but y'all delivered. (laughs) But Paul's got it right. We need to live lives like we're not ashamed. But sometimes that can seem hard to do. So 
Let me give you an example. Someone who's incredibly close to my heart. It's my sister, Catherine. Some of you in here know my sister. And that's because Catherine only has room in her heart for love. As my mom says, she's never met a person she didn't like. And she makes friends everywhere she goes. But in high school, Catherine would walk around the school. Everyone knew her by name. And she knew everyone's name. And she was not afraid, not ashamed to go around and invite all of her friends, all, what did we have, like 2,000 students to church with us every Sunday, every Wednesday. She was there. Well, you come to church with me. Come to church. Come on. It's so much fun. You need to be there. It's church. And unfortunately, most of these people, they didn't know the truth. They didn't realize that they needed the church, that they needed the gospel in their lives. And so oftentimes, we would drive to church. It would be my parents, my sister and I, and her friend Tucker. He would always come with us every week. But one day, my mom asked me a question. She said, Ross, when was the last time you invited one of your friends to church? And I didn't answer her because she wouldn't have been too proud of the answer I had for her. But that question stuck with me. When was the last time you invited someone to church? And so, shortly after that, um, I was with my tennis team, and those were my closest friends in school. And um, I started inviting them to church. It seemed simple enough, but for me, it was a step out of my comfort zone. And, um, you know, praise the power of God because only a few weeks later we were driving to church and I had to sit on the floor of our van because there wasn't enough seats in the van to fit all the people we were taking with us. What an amazing problem to have. But it all started because of my sister and because she was not ashamed. Uh, Tonight we're going to look at the story of Jonah. Um, Randy called it a classic, and it is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's also an excellent VeggieTales film. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, go get it and watch it, and then you'll know. Um, But Jonah is a very unique story. Jonah is a prophet of God, but he's not out in the wilderness or running through Israel spouting the words of God and and, uh, preaching to the Israelites. Um, Jonah, well, he's unique. Uh, I'll put it that way. I don't want to spoil the story, but uh, Jonah wasn't called to the Israelites. Jonah was called to the Ninevites, a very different group of people. And we're going to see how that works itself out in a little bit. But many people don't realize that the central subject of Jonah is not actually Jonah. The subject of Jonah is about God and his character. 
And it's through the story of Jonah that we learn about who God is, that God is the source of all life on earth, and that his mercy is what sustains life, life in us. We are sustained by his mercy. But that's enough uh, background. Let's, uh, let's take a look at Jonah chapter 1. Oh, but very quickly, before I get in, one more thing. Um, I don't want to confuse y'all, uh, so I just want to let you know ahead of time. I came up with this idea, and we'll see if it's genius or garbage. I'm not sure which yet, but we'll find out. I call it the sandwich method. Um, because we're going to look at Jonah chapter 1 and chapter 4, the first and last uh, chapters first, and then we're going to look at the middle two chapters. And there's a reason for this, but we start with chapters 1 and 4. That would be the bread. And these chapters, um, they're the not-so-good chapters. If you will, they're the uh, butt pieces of the bread loaf, um, as someone put it, uh, the ones that you don't necessarily want. But there's a lot to learn in this story, so um, let's take a look. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But... Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship, boarded, bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard the ship and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break apart. This may be bringing up some PTSD moments from last night for a few of y'all, but all the sailors were so afraid that they each started crying out to their own God, their own deity, and they started throwing cargo into the sea to lighten the ship in hopes that they wouldn't drown. But Jonah, Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down And fell into a deep sleep. So the captain went to him and he said, Jonah, how can you be sleeping right now? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we won't perish. And then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots, and of course the lots fall. On Jonah. So they ask him, Tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble. Um, what kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where, what is your country? From what people are you? And Jonah answered them, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher 
and rougher. And so urgently they ask, what do we need to do to make the sea calm down? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. So they take Jonah and they throw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Uh, Go to the next one real quick for me. Um, We're going to take a look at everything that happened in chapter 1. Jonah is so awesome because it's full of action. Everything that happens is just amazing. But remember, this is a story not about Jonah so much as it is about God. And in chapter 1, I want us to pay attention to Jonah's fear and the fact that God is in control. If you could for me go back to that first verse in chapter 1 and and let's dissect what happened here. See, Jonah gets a bad rap. Okay? I know he makes mistakes. And Jonah flees from God, but Jonah has a fear a legitimate fear, I think, of the Amorites, of Nineveh, the capital city of a nation who enslaved the Israelites, who killed Jonah's family, people he knew, his friends. And so Jonah was understandably afraid of these people. And that fear blinded him to the fact that God is in control. So he flees. Hit the next slide for me. And the Lord sends this storm, this incredible storm. Now, I don't have to do too much actualizing for y'all to understand because we just got hit by a storm last night uh, and it was loud, and it was frightening, especially if you were in your car. Um, but that, that storm was nothing compared to this storm. This violent storm is about to literally bust the ship at the seams. But Jonah is sleeping? What? He's sleeping in the middle of this storm. And so... The captain goes and gets him because they try to pray to their gods, their local deities, and it doesn't work. And he says, Jonah, uh, why don't you call up your guy and see if he can do any better? And uh, so Jonah leaves the bottom of the ship and he enters into the storm. Uh, Let's keep going. Um, And I find it interesting that Jonah still doesn't fess up at this point. Right? He could have told them what was going on, but no, they have to cast lots, and the lots fall on Jonah. And then they start asking him these questions. Who is responsible? 
What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you from? And they ask him these questions because they don't know Jonah and they don't know his God. And Jonah gives them a good answer. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And Jonah was a Hebrew, and so I'm sure he had an an answer ready. And although it looks good, it really wasn't. You see, the word for worship in verse 9 is also the word used uh, for fear God. I fear God. And in the Bible, when someone says they fear God, they either mean they obey God in his commandments, or they are in awe of God's awesome power. And Jonah was neither, right? He was running away from God. He was asleep on the ship, not even present in the power of the storm that God had sent. He was neither in awe, nor was he obedient to the Lord. His answer was simply lip service. It wasn't true. And so, continuing on, um, they're terrified by this answer. Um, And it's interesting here that the sailors seem to understand that you should fear the Lord. Jonah, he's afraid of the Ninevites, but the sailors seem to get it. But eventually, Jonah has to accept responsibility, right? He puts it off, he puts it off, he puts it off again until he can't run anymore. You got me. It's my fight. It's my fault. And so he accepts it, and he says, you got to throw me into the sea. It's the only way. It just makes sense. Um, But they don't want to do that. And so in the next one, instead, the men did their best to row back onto land. They're still fighting the power of God. They're still fighting God's will, but they could not. They could not overcome the power of God, and they reach this realization, and this is mind-blowing to me. These men, these sailors who earlier, they didn't know God. They had to interrogate Jonah just to figure out who God was, and they say, Lord, you have done as you pleased. And this is a statement that confirms the power of God, that he is in control, that he is going to do as he pleases. And there's nothing you can do to stop that. And so they throw him into the sea. And again, it says they greatly feared the Lord. So Jonah's not looking too good after chapter one, but let's Uh, Skip on down to chapter 4. Hit that next slide for me. And uh, let's look at another aspect of of Jonah. Um, This is the last chapter. So this is just after he preached to Nineveh. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. So he's explaining himself from chapter 1. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, God. You are slow to anger and abounding in love. You are a God who relents from sending calamity. 
Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he builds for himself a shelter, and he sits in the shade, and he waited to see what would happen to the city of Nineveh. And then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered away. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching wind and the sun blazed down on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry. I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant But you didn't tend it. You didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people, 120,000 souls who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. Uh, Let's hit the next slide. That's chapter four. Okay. And I want us to pay attention here uh, to Jonah's anger. First it was fear, now it is Jonah's anger. And I also want us to pay attention to to God's love in this chapter. In the fact that God says all things belong to me and he loves his creation. So uh, let's go back to the beginning and look at these verses. uh, Back to Jonah as angry. Um, you see, Jonah is blind again to the love of God because Jonah has put himself in the position of judge, not God. In his righteous indignation, he has already decided that Nineveh is deserving of destruction, and so he bears no forgiveness, no love in his heart. For these people, and so he's blind to God's work, God's forgiving love of the Ninevites. And so God asks him about his anger. Is it right for you to be anger, angry? But in his stubbornness, Jonah doesn't give him an answer. No. Uh, instead, Jonah builds a shelter. He goes out to the city. Uh, builds him a shelter to sit, finds a nice view, and waits to watch Nineveh's sure destruction that he knows is going to happen. And even as he's angry at the Ninevites, even as he harbors hate towards them, God in his mercy and love provides a plant to give Jonah shade. And Jonah is happy for the time being, uh, but then God takes the plant away. And we see how Jonah reacts when he is not the recipient of God's mercy. Again, he is angry. He wants to die. 
He would rather die than live without the mercy of God. And so God again asks him, Jonah, are you starting to get the picture yet? Is it clicking with you? Do you understand? Is it right for you to be angry at the Ninevites? But again, Jonah doesn't answer correctly. In his anger, he says, yes, I am right. I should be angry. And I'm so angry, it would be better off that I was dead. I would rather die than see you forgive these people. And so God has to answer his own question. And God says, it's not right for you to be angry. I love these people. He tells them how many people are in the city. He knows them all. He even mentions their cattle, their animals, everything about Nineveh, all of creation. God loves it all. And it's easy to point the finger at Jonah and say, Jonah, how can you be so blind? How can you be so stupid? But many of us have fear and anger in our own hearts. Um, You can go ahead and hit the, thank you. Um, We fear the storm, the storms of life. Because, let's face it, life is full of storms, and yet we sleep. This story, this scene in chapter 1 is one that I strongly identify with, one that hits me personally very hard because um, not long into my college career, I ran into some storms of my own, things um, that really took the fight out of me and um, made me afraid. And I actually quit going to church for a while And poignantly, as it happens, a lot of times I would just sleep through. I would literally be asleep in the middle of it all, missing out on the power of God. And many of us face storms in this life. But what really makes me sad is that there are people out there who are also facing storms. And they don't know God. They don't know his gospel. They don't know his love. But we're asleep. We're not there to give them direction. We're not there to tell them who God is when they ask. Who are you? Why do you live this way? Who do you belong to? We all know the answers. I worship the Lord. He created everything. He's God over everything, but we're asleep. It's just lip service. And many of us face anger. Anger at the world. And I have to be honest with you. I feel it too. Just the other day, um, spring break actually, this past week, I heard a story on the news In San Antonio, um, they're expanding the airport there and they're looking to add businesses and restaurants. And the city council um, barred or they wouldn't allow 
Chick-fil-A to be a restaurant in the airport. They said you can't um, because of Chick-fil-A's association uh, with faith. Um, not being open on Sunday and, and many of um, the, the presidents and the important people being people of faith. And um, unfortunately, stories like this aren't uncommon, but I hear a story like that and I just think that's so wrong. And I get angry at those city councilors. Those are my city councilors. Who voted for them? What are they thinking? It just, it makes me angry. And that's only the tip of the iceberg. You turn on the TV, you watch the news, and all around us, the world is filled with hate. It's filled with evil and violence. And it's easy to just get angry at the world. And so... We build our shelter, right? We, uh, we start our life. We find a family. We have kids. Oh, we go for the career we want, and we, we go to church, and we call it good. You know, I'm comfortable. I'm feeling good. I can see everything going on in the world, but I'm, I'm fine right where I am. And it's an attitude a lot of us take because we're not welcome. More and more today, Christianity is being associated with extreme religion. People view the idea of sharing your beliefs as extreme. Sharing the gospel is not something you should do. It's an unwelcome affront on freedom, on humanity. We're not welcome in this world. And so we take, we adopt the attitude, you've got your deal, and I've got mine. And so we build our own shelter, forgetting who our shelter really is, that God is our shelter, that he provides the shade and the comfort. And so many of us, we know what it's like to be afraid. We know what it's like to be angry. But God's gospel love overcomes fear and anger. Even in the story of Jonah, it did this. And Jonah was immensely loved by God through it all. Let's uh, go back to the end of chapter 1, starting in chapter 2. Jonah has just been thrown into the sea. This raging storm. I'm sure he thought he was going to die, but he finally surrendered to the will of God after he couldn't fight it anymore. And this is what happens. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Talk about uncomfortable. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said this. I want you to listen to these words of Jonah. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for your help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me, and your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will try to look again towards your holy temple. 
The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, down, down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, Lord my God, you brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayers rose to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. That is chapter 2, and the prayer of Jonah, it's mind-blowing, it's heart-wrenching. And Jonah finally realized that God is over the storm. He surrendered to the will of God and found salvation. Let's go back to the beginning of that chapter. See, Jonah had made the realization finally that God is in control, that all things belong to him. All things, including Jonah, including me and including you, belong to God. And so Jonah surrenders to God's will. He sacrifices himself. And he finally starts trusting in God during the storm. That, right there, that is living the gospel. And God saved Jonah's life. He found salvation. That is the gospel message. Um, Let's uh, go to chapter 3 very quickly. So chapter 2 is looking much better for Jonah. He's been saved. He's been given a second chance. And he says he's going to make good. So let's see what happens. Then the word of the Lord God came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. And now Jonah obeyed the word of God and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it. And so Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city and proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. Wait, the Ninevites believed God. That's not a typo. These people believed God. And a fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, even he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently upon God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, 
he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he threatened. So Jonah chapter 3 is his second chance. And this, to me, is the greatest part of the story because we see Jonah go from fear to Holy Spirit power. He goes from anger to love and hope. Let's go back to the beginning of the chapter. Jonah is the recipient of undeserved grace. But that grace comes with an expectation of obedience. God had a purpose for Jonah. God saved Jonah for a reason. Uh, Continuing on, God used Jonah as an instrument of faith. The Ninevites believed God. An entire city, over a hundred thousand people, the message of one man, of one God. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the power revealed in the gospel. The power to humble kings. The power to save thousands, hundreds of thousands of lost souls. I often ask myself the question, why did God choose Jonah? Didn't he already know that Jonah was going to run away? Why didn't he pick someone who would have said yes the first time? But when I look at the message that Jonah preached, it makes sense. Jonah said, 40 days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. I bet Jonah said that last part with a little bit of a smile. He didn't like the Ninevites. He wanted to see them destroyed. In fact, God used Jonah, even in his hate and his anger, as an instrument of faith and forgiveness. And if you look at the beginning of this proclamation, 40 days, God was patient with the Ninevites. They didn't deserve it. But God did not desire destruction. God longed for relationship with his creation. He's not a God of anger, but a God of love. You see, Satan wants us to be afraid. The devil laughs and smiles when we are angry at the world, but the world is not his. God created it, formed it with his hands. He holds it in the palm of his hands. And everything you see with your eyes belongs to God, including you. You are his precious child, and he dearly loves you. Uh, If you can hit the slides for me after chapter 3. Oh. The gospel is not a gospel of fear and anger. It's a gospel of love. It's a gospel of power. It's a gospel of hope. And like Jonah, we have received a second chance. And with it, an expectation to share the love we have received with all of God's
creation. And like Jonah, the flames of hell, much like the heat of the desert beating down on his back, which made him want to die, threatened to burn us into nothing. But God is our shelter and our salvation. He protects us. He loves us. And like Jonah, we have the power of the Spirit on our side. I love that. Because even now, sometimes I'm afraid. Sometimes I'm afraid that I'm not worthy. God is perfect. His words are truth. His words are wisdom and love. Who am I to spread his message? But like Jonah, we have the power of the Spirit on our side. And you can't beat the Spirit. It's got an undefeated record. Never lost, never will. The Spirit power is also alive in you. And that is what Paul is talking about in Romans. I am obligated both to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God which brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness, excuse me, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I want to do this uh, another time. This next slide for me. Repeat after me. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. If you have re- received the gospel, you are free. You are not tied down by shame. Like Jonah, like my sister, let's live this creed out every day in our lives. It may seem like a big task, but the truth is, It's not hard. For my sister, it was as simple as loving everywhere she went. God loves everyone. All of his creation is beautiful in his eyes, and he wants to see his love spread throughout the world. And if you have not received the gospel, then I want to invite you to come up and receive the love of a God who knows you, who created you, who was there from the beginning and whose love will last till the very end. Um, if, uh, if you would like, uh, you can now come up as we uh, sing.